Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. In case he's the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Schmetzer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am your host, Mark Kastner. We are uh, apparently still doing the MLS's back tournament, so uh, it makes sense to do a uh, Sounder at Heart podcast episode about uh the sounders chances of both survival of COVID 19 and survival of actual soccer games that may or may not be happening still uh i am joined here by uh casey tim and ari we've got the band back together uh for the first time in 2020 it only took until july 7th to do that um so uh the mls back to the MLS is back tournament is happening. It kicks off tomorrow with uh, one of the games has already been postponed uh, Chicago versus Nashville because of some positive cases. And um, the, the, I guess the biggest news out of this tournament and I'll toss it, I'll toss it to Ari to get his take on this is uh, one of the, one of the teams in the Sounders group FC Dallas has had to be removed from the tournament. Um, you want to tell us a little bit more about that, Ari? Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it happened because they had, I believe, 10 positive cases and a staff member. Um, but, you know, as I understand it, they were all infected, uh, like, en route or before they left. So... There wasn't an outbreak in the bubble, but they were quarantined, and it was deemed that they uh, should withdraw, which I think we can all agree is the correct decision there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, but I don't know if there's much more to it than that. They just had uh, an outbreak and will not be playing. Yeah, at the, at the time of recording, we don't really know how that actually affects the Sounders and their the, the game that they were going to play against FC Dallas, which also happened to be the 6 a.m. game, is not going to happen, um, at least against FC Dallas. Uh, so at the point of us recording, we don't really know how the group's going to work out. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the podcast. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all kind of in agreement, right, Tim, that this is sort of a bad idea. But if you want to find a silver lining, it, it does – it does seem like the MLS made made the right decision to kick FC Dallas out. Yeah, I think that is, I think maybe calling it a silver lining is generous, but um, yeah. I think it's still just, I don't, I don't know what exactly the testing protocols have been, um, but it seems like there has been a lot more, false positives that have come out from MLS than seems like a normal occurrence with the testing. And 
a lot of people who tested negative before they left and then by the time they landed had tested positive seems like an issue with the testing um yeah the whole thing seems like a really bad idea but it's apparently still happening and not having probably the other best team in their group if this is going to continue it's probably good for seattle i guess yeah um I mean, I'm thrilled about not playing FC Dallas just on just on its merits because I talked about in our last episode just kind of how weird the games are between um, Seattle and FC Dallas. So um, there's just this kind of like elephant in the room, I guess, and, and we'll have Casey come in and talk about this, that like this tournament's happening with the backdrop of the most cases in like every state you know, the most cases nationwide, the government is telling us that we just kind of have to deal with it. Like as a Sounders fan, Casey, how do you feel about this happening right now? (laughs) Yeah, I have mixed feelings. My whole thing is that I know so little about the science and obviously I try to read and stay up to date on it. And I have such yeah such little knowledge of how the bubble works and how that's all going that it's hard for me to have like a a totally intense hot take about the whole thing yeah i will say that the potential worst case scenario is a lot worse than the best case scenario is good but it also seems like the better case scenarios are maybe slightly more likely than the worst case scenario so i it's just like I don't want to sit here and and play that logic probability game. Uh, instead, I'm going to be uh, ignorant on the cultural ramifications um, or personal health ramifications and just be a sportscaster who is going to analyze things because that's about all my brain can handle. And I certainly am happy that more people are thinking more deeply about it than me. It's just not in my covid wheelhouse to be able to parse it out personally yeah i think the thing that i i'm struggling with is like it's some of like some of us have like actual jobs to that are on the line here Uh, right and it's it's like kind of a double-edged sword like on one hand i i'm trying to get genuinely excited about the sounders coming back um but it's, it's hard. So like I'm doing my best to compartmentalize, which yeah. uh, I think it's worth noting that sports makes you do that no matter what. Right. Like if you, if you watch college football, like you have to do that. So, and I don't necessarily want to like drive the whole conversation to like the ethics of sports, because I think in some way it's always unethical. Um, including MLS, even at its best. So yeah. uh, unless anybody else has kind of anything to add in, in terms of the problems that MLS has, has had to get this tournament started, I think we should probably move to talking about um, actual games. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say real quick, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much where 
Casey's at. Uh, I understand the anxieties and the concerns that people have about it. I share a lot of them too, but I mean, at this point, we, we don't know yet. We don't know how it's going to work or what's going to happen. So we just have to find out. I know that's overly simplistic perhaps, but that's just how I feel at this point. Yeah. yeah I guess the only, go ahead, Tim. Uh, I guess the only, the only thing I would really add is that, um, you know, NWSL's challenge cup is going on right now. And like the logistics of that tournament and getting everybody inside of their bubble is completely different because NWSL is a third of the size of MLS, just in terms of teams. And then the like training staff and larger groups traveling with each team is bigger. Uh, but they obviously had pretty high profile, like a team had to drop out because of positive COVID cases, um, but they've really had no issues seemingly since the tournament started going. Um, once all of the teams are there and have been through that sort of initial testing phase, it does seem like the positive cases are being caught at that stage. Um, and, you know, I guess you hope no one like leaves the bubble, but once everyone's there and has been tested and cleared, it does seem like things should be able to go hopefully smoothly, but. Yeah. Hopefully they've set a decent model. Yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah. I think like the best case, the best case scenario is we find out in nine to 10 days that the bubble is working or right. else we got to have bigger problems, but uh, we'll certainly record a podcast about that when it does happen or either kind of sad about that. Uh, and I'm sure like listeners love how doom and gloom we've started. Uh, so let's, let's actually try to analyze what the Sounders are facing with, with the group that they're in as far as we know, because um, right now we have a group with three teams three Western Conference teams, and then we have another group with six Eastern Conference teams, um, which I'm not a math scientist. Oh, doesn't, doesn't seem like it works. Uh, so not only has FC Dallas had to uh, drop out of the tournament, tournament because of COVID-19 cases, uh, the Whitecaps are now traveling to Florida without um, – their big off-season signing and four other players. Um, Ari, can you kind of fill us in on the news of that? Yeah, so I was actually just on a conference call with Mark DeSantos and Axel Schuster, DeSantos being the head coach. Uh, But they announced today that um, five of their players withdrew. Um, I'll try and get them off the top of my head. There was – I mean, Cavallini, obviously, their big DP forward. Freddie Montero, uh, all Sounders fans know him. Uh, Toe St. Ricketts and Andy Rose, and I'm blanking on the fifth one, but they're down five guys, and those four guys are, you know, pretty important players. Um, Cavallini, obviously, their go-to striker. Andy Rose, a guy that's started a lot of games for them and was going to get a lot of minutes. And then Montero and Ricketts are, you know, two forwards that we're probably going to play a lot too uh, with squad rotation and fixture conditions. So they are very shorthanded now. 
And, you know, Dos Santos was saying that, you know, all the right things, that he still has the belief that the young guys are going to step up and that they're, they're uh, veteran guys that are there are going to be able to fill the void. <clears throat> but, I mean, they're just in a tough situation. I think without Cavallini in particular, if they were going to make a run, you would have said it's because he is really uh, making good on his big signing and scoring all their goals and carrying them. So without him, I mean, it gets very tough for them. Um, yeah, I, I mean – And I don't the two, and the two guys that would theoretically play in his place are also not coming. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's – I mean, they're just very thin at forward. Um you know, I, I uh, it's hard for me to see the path for them down those guys. It's going to be tough for them anyway, but um, at this point, being that shorthanded is just is just tough. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Um, and like on on one hand, it like it's it's kind of cool that like the Sounders are catching all these breaks in a tournament, but like just kind of on its face, but then you kind of analyze everything of why it's happening and it just sort of sucks. And, you know, I think we've all kind of belabored the point that maybe this shouldn't be happening, but it is. So, <laughs> uh, Tim, what do you think about the San Jose earthquake earthquakes, which uh, the Sounders first game, is against the earthquakes on Friday and the kickoff time got moved up 90 minutes because DC and Toronto got postponed. So if you're planning on watching at seven 30 on Friday night, you should now plan to watch at, I think the kickoff is at five. No, six, six, six. There we go. Um, yeah. The earthquakes were kind of interesting when the Sounders played them last year. Um, although they weren't very good and I'm not sure that they've gotten better. Hey, I, yeah. I, throw to me next. We'll go, we'll go to you after Tim. Okay. Um, I think it's hard to, hard to really know what that game is going to look like. Um, the earthquakes, even though they weren't very good last year, the sort of, strange, unique man-marking system that Matias Almeida has his team play is at the very least really hard to play against and can be really frustrating. Um, I think especially the version of the Sounders that exists today, if they're, you know, fully healthy and everyone's on the field, should be a team that can handle that pretty well. They, you know, have a lot of grit and toughness but also are a good passing team which the man marking system should theoretically leave lots of gaps for you know players like Jordan Morris to run into um, but that's also a system that is very dependent on really high levels of fitness um, and not having been able to you know maintain game fitness during quarantine probably makes that a much tougher system to implement uh yeah they really didn't add anyone over the off season they kind of stuck with 
the guys that they had, which on one hand maybe leads to a better institutional knowledge of that system, but also they weren't a very good team in 2019, so they didn't get better. I Yeah, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to watch for sure if it happens. Ari certainly disagrees with you that they weren't a very good team in 2019. Well, you know, first of all, I never said last year that they were the second best team in the Western Conference. And I was never uh, condescending to anyone who disagreed with me on that right before they went like 2-10-2 and two and crashed out of the playoff race. Um, but what I – I mean, I don't – I do not necessarily agree with that they weren't a good team last year in the sense that they were good for a while and then they just absolutely cratered down the stretch. But they were right in the playoff mix for most of the year. I don't know if that speaks to – how good they were or maybe teams were just thrown off by the man marking and adjusted to it. Um, but I think more importantly when it comes to the quakes is that they always, you know, you said the games against Dallas are always a little weird. I think that's true about the quakes too. They were like considered the bogey team for a long time. I think that narrative is kind of uh, petered off the last couple years, but last year it kind of seemed to resurface a little bit. Remember that game at CenturyLink where yeah. They went up 2-0, like, really fast, I think, and the Sounders had to scramble and barely pulled out a 2-2, and it was sort of just a weird, crazy game like these Quakes games usually are. So, like, you know, regardless of where the Quakes are at roster-wise and talent-wise compared to Seattle, I would expect it to be kind of a weird, close game. I do think they're going to have to adapt tactically just because, like Tim was talking about, um, that that system requires so much running and so much fitness that I don't know if they're going to be able to do that at the full capacity that they normally would. So you might not see it in, to quite the same degree you saw last year, at least not at the start of the tournament. Um, either way, I, I do think that the Quakes are going to give them a game just because it, it does usually seem to go like that. Yeah, I didn't think the Sounders played – well against the Quakes either game last year. They were getting dominated away, I thought. The away game needed a very, very late Jordan Morris goal off off of a defender mistake to – it was to win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Made it it 2-1. Yeah. I was really down on the team after that game, and then I was proven wrong. So – I. I mean, that certainly wasn't the only game where that proved to be the case. I think I also – you know, to your point, Ari was thinking about how weird games against the Earthquakes tend to be and games against Dallas. And I think maybe it's just MLS games tend to be weird because the list of teams for whom Sounders games tend to be really weird, even considering that the Sounders have been very good their entire time in MLS is like half of the teams in MLS, like, the, so the Sounders are also pretty weird. I I wrote about that extensively in the playoff run last year. The Quakes games are the Quakes games are weirder though. I yeah, I do. I think the the system. Well, I think it's interesting because the Quakes of the past just were you know they were the Bash brothers, so that made Tom everything Kinnear. kind of yeah that made everything uh, crapshoot. And then with the crazy pressing. It's different, but I feel like, again, they have become a bogey team because the pace of the game is a little bit different than 
everyone else you play is just hard to adjust to. I would like to offer a potential counter narrative. I think Tim and Ari are probably right that the the fitness won't be there for them to fully take advantage of. On the flip side, it's a condensed tournament, and if they can somehow ramp up the fitness for this six games, that could be a nightmare for other teams that aren't uh, as good in possession yet this early in the season. So I'm really curious to see how the Quakes perform. I foresee potentially a lot of three, four games with really sloppy turnovers on both sides and chaos, and that should be fun. If they could get fit enough, quick enough to do that, like more power to them, but I just – I don't see how that's like physically possible. Yeah, and they, you know, they, they, they you really it is relative to the everyone else too, right? Because no one else is going to be fit. That's true. That's true. I think I think Tyrone Marshall, who uh, Sounders fans may or may not remember, uh, he's an assistant coach for uh, Real Salt Lake um, right now. He said he expects most teams to be well. He expects his team RSL to be eighty-five minutes fit. And he expects most teams in MLS to kind of be around there. Um, and if you're keeping track at home, soccer matches are 90 minutes long, uh, which to I buckle think, in for that last. 10 minutes. <laughs> I think, I think it's, I think the fitness thing is an interesting discussion. Uh, and I don't think anybody on this podcast is as fit as a soccer player, maybe Casey, uh, <laughs> not anymore. But, um, like, I, I think I think there's a physical fitness thing, and then also a mental fitness thing. Like, yeah, we're we're literally exactly at recording this podcast four months from the day those Sounders last played a competitive match, and it's not like they were training that entire time, or like any team really doing anything. You know, some some states, some cities, some counties and whatnot opened up a little bit sooner. Like Atlanta United made a big deal about being able to be the first first team in North America to train again and stuff. Um, but I just – I don't – like I think everybody's on that same playing field. So I, agree. So I think there's some, um, some validity to Casey's, uh, Casey's point. Like if, if a team is focused on um, – if a team is focused on fitness, like maybe that's where the edge is. Yeah, I think it's a total crapshoot, which is a terrible take. <laughs> but as a team that invites chaos at a chaotic tournament, I do think they have some dark horse capability. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it would be. I have to be on the Quakes. Yeah, bed. that's that's the bed you made. So, yeah. like, we really don't we don't know how the Sounders group is going to play out. There's only three teams in it right now. Um, they each team, like, we just don't, we, at the time of recording, we don't know kind of the, the logistics of how MLS is going to sort this out. Um, you know, theoretically every team, all three teams could, could advance to the knockouts. We don't even really know how the knockouts are going to work because MLS hasn't released those details yet in terms of which team is going to play which team. Um, like we're in the World Cup, you have A1 is going to play C2, so on and so forth. Um, but we just don't have that. Um, we're kind of flying blind here, which is 
seemingly MLS's motto for this whole thing. <coughs> That's an appearance by my dog. Um, now that we've kind of talked about the uh, the Sounders' opponents for this tournament, or and also the lack of opponent in FC Dallas, uh, I kind of want to drive the discussion to like the Sounders themselves because I, I do think they're an actually a pretty interesting team. Um, uh, Tim Foss, who is on the podcast, he you wrote a, a piece today about. Um, kind of the options the Sounders have in, in defense. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, really the sort of the crux of that piece was that there are two seemingly big uh, questions still to be answered as far as who starts on that back four. Um, Javier Arriaga is, you know, pretty much a guaranteed starter most of the time, at least if they're putting out their first choice lineup and Kelvin Leardom is by a mile, the first choice at right back. Um, so the other two op or questions are whether Joven Jones or new who starts at left back and then who plays as the right side and center back alongside Javier Arriaga. Um, I think clearly when they signed Jamar Gomez Andrade, he was clearly intended to be that starting center back partner. Um, the Sounders also brought in Shane O'Neill on the first day of preseason training and between CONCACAF Champions League and the two MLS games of this season, both players have started one Champions League game and one MLS game. Um, they both showed pretty well all things considered, I think Shane O'Neill was a pretty surprising um, addition of quality. Uh, he was a really promising player several years ago, and then he went to Orlando City, which seems like the place that dreams go to die. Uh, but he has come back to the or come to the Sounders and seems like he could still be a pretty solid player uh, where now he's legitimately maybe in that conversation as a starting center back rather than the clearly third choice option. Um, I think having him in requires a lot more work from Ariaga, uh, where Gomez Andrade in the game that the two of them played together in MLS did the bulk of the passing. Um, and his passing is pretty progressive. He, definitely seems to look to get the ball forward. Um, and he had a lot of defensive actions um, with a lot of those being recoveries, uh, which the Sounders seem to want to keep the ball and play, you know, an attacking possession style. So those things together are definitely things you want to see. And his passing seems like it's pretty clean, even if it's not necessarily safe. Um, so I think that seems like the better choice, but uh, yeah, it's definitely something that will need to be answered for the future. More, well, I don't want to jump Mark's gun, but I, no, go ahead. I'm curious about, op you know, opening up the pit, so to speak, and getting into this Jones new. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I, I think, 
I think everybody kind of sees uh, where this conversation is headed. Like, I think fairly safe to say that uh, Gomez Andrade is the first choice um, and in CONCACAF Champions League and MLS play several months ago, there was extraneous circumstances that, that meant that that couldn't necessarily happen. I think the interesting conversation to have here is, uh, is the Jones versus New Who thing. And I'll just kind of toss it to Casey because he has thoughts about that. I just, I've decided I'm going to start to build my brand a little bit more around being the last person on Jones's bandwagon. <laughs> I, I take personal pride in it. I like his passing choices. I like his crossing. I think that a lot of times he subverts the all too often American narrative that more running is better. Uh, and he just chills. He chills. He makes good passes. I think he's smart. Uh, but in all seriousness, I think he has a level of quality that New Who doesn't have yet. That said, and I don't want to jump on Tim's point. We discussed this a little earlier. I do think New Who's getting a lot better still. I don't think his, his progression is done. And even though he hasn't found an assist yet, I see that the crossing is at least landing in spots that are closer to the, where they should instead of on the other side of the box. So, He's growing on me. He won the PK against Columbus, which was like such a classic new who play. We got to give him credit for that. But I'm still team Jones. My thing is new who at this point has been given enough chances. I know he hasn't gotten consistent time, but he's been given enough chances that if he wants starting lineup, he's got to string five really good, at least really solid games in a row yet. And I haven't seen him do that. So until he proves it, I'm still team Jones. Yeah, I say this as a big-time New Who guy, but I, mean, I think you have that right. Uh, Jones is the first-choice starter there. And, you know, it's pretty simple, ultimately. I think he's just the better, more attack, uh, polished attacking player. Uh, the Sounders love their attacking fullbacks. That's a big part of what you have to do to be the first-choice fullback in this system. And Jones is – really good at those aspects of the game he's super dynamic he had a season where he had like 13 assists or something like that he tied the mls record for assists from a defender yeah and knew who as much as i love the guy um he just doesn't quite have that in the attack and i i do still think that there's another level that he could reach there and if new who shores up that aspect of his game he's going to be amazing because he's the better defender of the two um so he has that going for him. He just, you know, I, the the gap there in terms of what they can do going forward is just, it's still pretty substantial at this point. Um, but, you know, you got, everyone knows that I love New and everything he brings. And I think, I think he's great the way Schmetzer has been using him the last year or two uh, where you bring him on in the second half to, to kill off a game and lock things down. Uh, but Joven Jones is still the first choice starter at the position. That said, like, you know, in the whole backline rotation debate, everyone's going to be playing, like, especially in this tournament. Um, they're going to have to rotate with all the fixture congestion. So you'll see plenty of new who I'm sure it'll start a couple games. But if you're asking, you know, what's the first choice back for, I think it's Weirdham, Ariaga, Yamar, and Joven Jones. You think there's a scenario where they both start? 
new uh, uh, back end Jovan Jones. I mean, the they've field. done that in the past, and it it works pretty well. You know, you can you can put Jovan up there. I I like him most as the left back I, more than I like him on the wing. That's having seen him play both quite a bit. I I think that's where he's best deployed. Yeah, I think while he can do both, he very clearly watching him in both spots is much more comfortable playing at least the way that the Sounders want to play, more comfortable playing as a left back. I think there were lots of times last season where him particularly playing on the right side of midfield uh, would get the ball in either a transition opportunity or a time when the maybe clearer path was to play the ball forward quickly and he had a tendency to just sort of step on it. Um, I do think, yeah, right now, Jovan Jones is the more polished player. He is more of a threat going forward. But at a certain point, Jovan Jones is 28, Nuhu is 23. You're not going to sell Jovan Jones for any sort of benefit at this point. He's not going to be around for that much longer. It becomes a question of playing for this moment right now, which in this tournament, I don't know how much that really matters. Also, everyone is going to play because of how tight the schedule is. Um, or you play for the future and you play New Who in the effort of developing him to either make him the staple at that position of the future or sell him for a profit. Um, also, I would note that in 17 appearances last year, Jones had two assists. Uh, so he is more polished, but that didn't really result in that much in 2019. Dang, that's a drop the hammer on that stat right there. Though, to be fair, New Who still has zero goose egg assists. Give me one, New Who. Give me one. Also, no goals. No goal. Yeah, that's true. I feel like no goals is the meme, but no assists is the meat. New Who has two career MLS assists. No. Yeah. When? <laughs> 2017 and 2018. Oh, man. And he MLS, had, he, MLS he, counts those hockey assists. He only, he only played 790 minutes last year. Yeah. What's up with that? And he should have had a goal last year, but Brad Smith got selfish. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Brad Smith, what a fella. Real uh, quick, if, 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 if everyone defender plays, does that mean Alex Roland's going to get significant minutes at right back? Because that's very interesting to me. No. I don't think you'll get significant minutes. He'll probably, yeah, he's, think, he's the backup there. So, I mean, like, who else would you put there when you have to rotate Leardermount? It's just, None, it's Christian rolled on. three back. Yeah, I mean, you could do right back Christian rolled on, I guess. But I don't think they want to do that if they don't have to. Make Bawana right back. I mean, it would be good for the memes for me. You, like, right back rolled on is a – I mean, it's right back rolled on either way there. So, I guess – I, I win yeah. both areas there. You've uh, you've buttoned up that market. Uh, another conversation I would like to have if we're done with this one, uh, which we're now talking about Alex Roldan, so I think we are, uh, is the beginning of this season in before times, which was like six years ago, but it was actually only four months ago. Um, the Sounders played all of their games, both in – Champions League and an MLS play without Nicholas Ladero. Um, 
he is uh, theoretically healthy. It seems like he is. He's back in training and kind of all over the Sounders social media. So, uh, and I believe Smith has even said he's completely fit. So, um, I think we can expect the most important Sounder on this team to be back. I know Casey's working on a piece um, to kind of examine the tactical differences between um, between Ladero in the team with and then without him in the team. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Casey? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because essentially we'll go back to the system that we think we thought was going to happen at the start of the year with Roldan out wide on the right, Ladero at the 10, Jao Paolo and Svensson at the holding mid. I think what you get out of that lineup is better ball retention in the middle of the park probably. And I think it's interesting because the Sounders transitioned to a counterattacking team last year after starting as more of a possession team. And I think what you'll see in this tournament is them that they'll fall somewhere in the middle um, of that with Ladero back in the lineup. I think they're going to come out and look to dictate games because the biggest thing about Ladero being back in the lineup to me is that you slide Jao Paolo back to holding mid where I think he's going to be the best player dictating tempo from the midfield that the Sounders have had since Ozzy Alonso. So I think that we're going to be able to knock the ball around and tire teams out a little better in possession. That said, do I think we're going to score a ton of free-flowing goals this tournament with 10 pass combinations? Probably not, just because of the nature of the time off and stuff. So I think what you'll see is the Sounders come out, look to dictate tempo, but then still let other teams attack, drop in a little bit deeper. And then I think once they're tired from us having possession and once we draw them out when they have possession, we're still going to be most lethal on the counterattack because J-Mo on the counter is unstoppable. And I think a really underrated part on rolled on on the wing, even though he might not be a speed demon, is that every backdoor crashing run that you could make, you know he's going to make. So I think they're still going to be more dangerous getting out on the counter but I do think Ladero at the 10, Jao Paolo at the 8, you're going to see a better mix of keeping the ball. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> it's it's easy to imagine this team with everyone healthy playing sort of similarly to – I like it's – the team that I often think of is sort of that 2014 Sounders team that could play with possession. They liked to have the ball, but they weren't, you know, necessarily devoted to the idea. They were also willing to play super quick, either combination or counterattacks. Um, you definitely have that possibility both with Jordan Morris and I think Raul Rui Diaz in his time in Seattle has proven that he can be super dangerous on a counter, either on his own or in tandem with other people. Yeah. Uh, and adding Nico Ladero back into the lineup, he more than maybe anyone else on the team has a really incredible connection with Raul and has a special ability to find him in those little pockets of space, not on the counter, but also loves to hit a through ball for either Rui Diaz or Jordan Morris. And I think that is a thing that you miss with Morris on the field is not having people who are 
consistently looking to play him in behind. Um, and that seems super useful, especially in this tournament where, as we've discussed already, people's fitness is maybe not going to be up to regular season standards. And I think Jordan Morris running behind a tired defense makes me really excited to watch games. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think uh, something that I keep bringing up in my own mind is is how excited I was about this team in the preseason, thinking about their potential. And, um, you know, I remember writing and talking and thinking like, yeah, I, I think this, this team could keep pace with LAFC unless they do another, like, unreal run, LAFC that is. Um, yeah, I think that this is one of the – the top three or four teams in the league and, and was definitely the supporter shield contender uh, back when things were normal. Uh, I don't think anything, any of that in terms of expectations for the team has changed other than just kind of the weird circumstances that this tournament's taking place in. Um, I don't, and I think we could probably close out with this. Um, would you guys be disappointed from a soccer perspective perspective if the Sounders didn't kind of figure out a way to go far in this tournament? I would be, I'd be surprised just because I feel like their, their talent level is really high right now. Um, but I just think there is so many variables and unknowns that it's really hard. Like, you know, you could, you could have the most talent in your group or, in your knockout matchup and just still get knocked out um, because of any number of reasons. Um, so, you know, when I, when I look at the roster, I, I, I agree with you. I don't really see any reason to have different expectations than I did coming into preseason, which was very high, but I'm also looking at it like this is sort of like, like Casey said, a crapshoot tournament tournament where anything could happen. And I'd probably be like, all right, uh, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be, I'd be disappointed only for the reason that getting knocked out of CONCACAF first round this year was a bit of a bummer. And though I don't put that much stock into this tournament, it would be, if I'm nitpicking, a slight demerit in the sense that the Sounders under Smetzer have been really good at being steady and not letting this ship sink and then finding the right time to peak but haven't necessarily been a team that for tournament play or throughout a whole season can be like this is how we're going to win right now as opposed to waiting to figure out what the right formula is so if you're looking for an angle from soccer analysis I do think it'll be interesting can Schmetzer get the team ready to win right now from game one through game six as opposed to sort of tinkering and seeing seeing what happens that said am I going to think that much less of Schmetzer if it doesn't work out no because he's earned all the trust in the world but since this is a boring tournament that's going to be the angle I'm watching for yeah I think I like I want the Sounders to win the MLS's back tournament because it's dumb and it's weird and I like to see them win uh, but if they 
don't go super far. The only real disappointment I think I'll feel is in not getting to watch more of the Sounders play, um, especially not knowing what's going to come after this tournament. I know that they want to try to figure out some sort of a shortened remainder of the season, and I think that that's likely, uh, but we're still not guaranteed of more soccer during this year. Uh, so I think that's where I stand. I just want to watch them play. Cool. And watch them play. Uh, we will, unless more news happens between now and yeah. Friday evening. Knock on lots of wood. Uh -huh. So uh, thanks, guys, for joining me on the Sounder at Heart podcast. This is Mark. That's Casey. That's Tim. And that's Ari. Uh, go Sounders.